Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in to Because Life. I'm so pumped to have my next guest on the episode. And I know, I've been excited about everybody so far, and I truly do appreciate everybody that's come on. But this guy is kind of a big deal. His name is Pritesh Shah, and he's an actor, comedian, producer, and host. He studied improv and performing arts in Cali, and after quitting what he thought was his dream career, he found his calling in stand-up and film. He's been in a ton of print and commercial, and a dozen or more films. Most recently, he was on Amazon Prime's movie, Warnings, and currently he's been writing and producing an original called Brown Man Problems. You know when you meet somebody random, and I truly mean random, you know that they're supposed to be in your life in some shape or form. That's how I felt about Britesh after having him on the episode. I'm excited for all of you to get to know him, and I can't wait to continue to follow his journey. Hi, Britesh. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be on here. How's it going? So I want to start by saying um, kind of a quick story about how we have kind of not even actually met. Um, So I want to thank you for adding me as a random person on Facebook. (laughs) And I actually found you as a friend of a friend that I went to middle school with. And I was like, wait, who is this hot brown guy that I do not know that's your friends with? And so I added you because, you know, I can because <laughs> we're both brown. And here we are. <laughs> now, who's your friend? Amanda. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's your friend? Holy crap. Yeah. Like her, so her husband's a very close friend of mine. Really? Yeah. So went to middle school with her. What a small world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she, me, her, Amanda, and Alex were in acting class together. Uh, man, wow. Like 10 years ago. Almost. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They were obviously just dating at the time. And then uh, Alex, he's the reason I even found the acting class. I randomly met him, met him at an acting workshop. And man, he's just the nicest guy. And he's kind of been a little bit of a mentor to me over these last years. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, then we well, know a couple other mutual friends, um, you know, because I continue stalking. I was like, oh, we do know people that. Or brown. So, I mean, that's not going to be. That is true. <laughs> You know, we're like that's more than the degrees of separation. You know how they have like the bacon meter. I'm like Indian people. We all know it. everyone's your cousin. Either they're like someone you hooked up with, or they're your cousin. Or they were made your cousin by default. Yeah, <laughs> like without asking. Completely intrusive. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because when I first met my husband, um, like when we first started dating, he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go on a trip to Florida with my mm-hmm. friends." I'm like, "No, you can't go." And he's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like. You can't go because I know every brown person down there. And he was like, no, you don't. And sooner or later, he found out, oh, shit, she knows every brown person down there. Yeah, it's uh, we got a lot of us, but we all know each other, too. Mm-hmm. So Small. let's circle back to you. So you <laughs> grew up and you were born in San Diego or you just grew up? There? No, my, my story is crazy. So I was born in San Jose, California. And then okay. uh, when I was eight months eight months old. I moved to Baroda, Gujarat, in India, and I was there for four years. So Gujarati is actually my first language. I'm still fluent in it. And nice. then, yeah, and then I moved back here. So then I grew up in Portland, Seattle. Then moved to San Diego freshman year in high school, and so I still consider San Diego like my hometown because the, the place we've lived there the longest in most of my adolescent adult memories. And then I've been in LA for the last 10 years, almost. Yeah. But why did you guys move around so much? You would think my dad was in the Navy or some shit. No, my dad was actually just an engineer at Intel. 
That's but he, yeah, he just moved for, you know, just promotions or better opportunities to move up in his career. Yeah. And then that brought it to San Diego. And I was not happy about moving to San Diego at first. I had all my friends up in Seattle. Then he's like, all right, well, let me just show you. So I moved, I remember landing at the airport in San Diego and I saw girls with crop tops, uh, tans <laughs> and uh, belly button piercings. And when you're a 15 year old ma- uh, male, holy crap. I was like, yo, dog, we can move here today. I don't care. I don't give a damn about my friends in Seattle. They can kiss my ass. I don't give a shit. I don't care if I ever talk to them again. Let's do it. <laughs> Amazing. That was, that was my journey into Southern California, and I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the good thing about, I mean, a lot of families do this. And you, like you said, you would think they would be in the military. But my parents did the exact same thing. We moved in London a couple times um, where I was born. And then we moved to Florida. Because family members were like, oh, you should open up a restaurant in Florida because my parents are caterers and restaurant owners. Uh-huh. And within Florida, within seven years, we moved four times. And we finally, wow. landed, finally landed in Tampa, where I consider home because that's where I spent, like you said, the longest time. Um, yeah. And then while I was in college, my parents were like, all right, cool. You're good? Great. We're moving again out of state. <laughs> I was like, okay. Catch yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's like I guess the Indian engineer lives. Like, I, yeah. I guess they move around as much as people do in the armed forces. About yeah, so it's. I mean, it's definitely taught me a lot of life lessons, and I've adjusted well to different, you know, situations. But yeah, at times I was like, "Can you just sit still for five minutes? Five minutes is all I ask." You know, I did too. I mean, moving around to different places was great because it tested. Well, it definitely built a lot of my personality because since I had, since I was sociable and outgoing, it was easy for me to make new friends, which was always helpful when you're moving around a lot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, San Diego was the first place I settled, which is interesting because moving to San Diego, second semester of freshman year in high school, and uh, the culture is different in Southern California. It was de- There's no denying that it was definitely a little bit more pretentious. Uh, people were more, a little bit more standoffish. I mean, I'm generally speaking here, not everyone's like that, but in general, and the high school was massive. The one I went to it had over 2,000 kids. It was just big school. So it was like in no man's land. To move second semester of freshman year when everyone's already made their social groups first semester is no bueno. Yeah. And, you know, because everyone already made their groups. So I had to really like kind of dig in to get mine. But then, you know, it was fun. So you did you start like did you know you wanted to do acting, producing, comedy? All Hell no. <laughs> what did you start? Hell off no. You know? Girls, an Indian family. You don't even think I like know. when I used to watch TV, I didn't even think that was real. Like I didn't think it was. You know, my mindset was, oh, to get on that, it's you. You have to be a chosen one. Yeah. I don't know what that meant, but you never feel like there's nothing in society or in our culture that teaches you that's a possibility. And mostly or that's brown people option. that have come out recently, it's all, like like I just said, it's been recent. Nothing that, um, you know, when we were growing up, we saw that out there, um, unless you were watching Bollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and beyond that, like, there's no system, right? So no one knows anything about the business. Yeah. Like, it's rare, you know. There, it's, and outside of L.A. and stuff, L.A. in general, uh, in, in the entertainment world, it's not many people know anything about it how it actually works what goes into it um and i definitely did it i was uh i went to school for accounting and a minor in english i was going to go to law school uh that was my game plan um uh, but you know mom's no best she was always shocked she's like you have i was always like a class clown type of guy right and she's like how the hell are you going to do accounting? like that's not my son <laughs> you know and this is a funny story so before i grad 
anything I do, I go balls to the wall. So in college, I had like a three-point GPA. I was vice president of accounting society. I was doing well. And then there was like this astrologer that came to San Diego, staying with my parents. It's a big guru. My mom's like, you have to come home. I was like, all right. So I come home. This guy I never met. He's like reading. Um, he's reading my astrology. Uh, what's it called? Uh, just basically my astrology chart, right? So mm-hmm. this was the Vedic astrology chart. And he's going through the, oh yeah, the Indian version, Kunli. Mm-hmm. So he's he's reading the Gunli and he he just he's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing accounting. And he's like, There's no way you're ever gonna use your degree for your career. And at the time, I didn't know what he meant. I was just pissed. I was like, What? So to me, the 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 emotional state I was in at the time when he said that was he might as well have just said I was gonna be homeless. That's how I took it. And I was pissed when he said that. He didn't expand on it, but he just said there's no way in your chart that says you're gonna ever use your education, your degree for your career. And I remember yelling at my mom. Like, he's the one only time I've ever cursed at my mom. I literally, I, I said the F word. I was like, don't freaking ever have me around this guy. Like, I don't know who he is to talk to me that way. Da, 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 da. And she's like, okay, sorry, shit. <laughs> and uh, I was just pissed. I'm like, who the hell are you? I don't even know you, bro. You, you know? You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. Like, what are you trying to say? And uh, so that was a year and a half past as I graduate. And there's six months before I'm supposed to start my job. And I can't sit at home and do nothing. So my mom in India West, Hala, India West, <laughs> there was an ad for this guy, this Indian guy who was teaching commercial acting class. And my mom's like, you should, you should do this. And I was like, all right, I don't want to sit at home and do nothing. I'm going to be bored. My job doesn't start for six months. So I was driving up to Orange County from San Diego, which is about, it took me about an hour and a half each way. And I would just take this guy's, now keep this in mind. He was teaching me commercial auditions and commercial sides like audition for commercials with camera in his hospital clinic that he owned and i was the only student like you could (laughs) not get more indian patel than this right but the guy was legit like he he was in tons of commercials he knew what he was doing and he taught me well so i'm doing this and he goes you know what um i know this i know this agency i think they'd be interested in you and he's like what are your plans and this is like february i'm like uh well, I'm going to start my job in June, but, you know, if I blow up before, what? Like, I know <laughs> who the hell I was talking about. So I was like, if I blow up before, I quit, you know? So he, I could tell, he was probably like this this new kid, green. So anyway, <laughs> I went into audition for this agency. It was like, uh, it was a talent m- model and talent agency. But since I had my job, I, I didn't have much to lose. Like, I had nerves, but not crazy, because yeah. this was a side thing for me. So I went in, they liked me, they booked me on the spot. And I was just booking a lot of print model gigs with them. And it just felt good. It felt right. And I was doing small commercials here and there. And it felt good. I was like, this is feels right for me. And then I remember getting a physical uh, with the doctor. I needed to get a physical for my job. And I had, you know, you have a bunch of angels. And I went in to get the physical. And he goes, you know, are you excited for your job? You don't look excited. I was like, what do you mean? There's a job. Well, what do you mean excited? And he's like, you know, most people, when they're about to start their career, there's a, there's a level of excitement. Are you sure this is what you want to do? And, you know, what doctor tells you that? In a physical? Yeah. And I, he, he just, inst- I was like, hmm, I don't know. I guess not. I mean, I kind of like what I'm doing here on the side right now. And, you know, a few more months pass and, and I was just working a decent amount and it just didn't feel right. Like as it got closer to starting my job, it, it just felt so wrong. So that guru that had come, it was, I remember my job was supposed to start Monday, June 15th. And on the Friday, I'm, I'm having panic attacks. I'm crying. Like, 
I'm like, there's no way I can do this. Everything in my heart tells me not to take this job. So I called that guru. I got his number from my mom and I called him and I'm freaking out, right? I'm, I'm on edge. So I'm like, you told me this like a year and a half ago. This is what you told me. You, are you sure? Because I'm about to quit this job. Are you sure? Right? So I put all this pressure on him. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, look, look, kid, this, yeah, for sure. Go, go do it. So I'm freaking out. I call my dad. My dad doesn't say anything on the phone. I'm like, hey, dad, I think I'm going to quit this job. I really need to go after, I want to go after this. He's just quiet, typical Indian dad, like pissed, right? He's pissed. So that wasn't very comforting, but I know I had my mom and my sister's support. My mom's basically whole mentality was, why the hell do we come from India if I want you to do the same old things I'd have you do in India? Right. The point of being two hours away from the entertainment capital of the world, and I'm going to tell my son who has talent not to pursue his dreams, what was the point of coming here then? Yeah. So that was her mentality. So anyway, I called the job, HR department. It's probably like noon, and no one picks up, so I leave a voice mom just like, hey, just calling because I... I decided I'm not going to be able to come in on Monday for work because I figured out what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> and I'm still freaking out. I already have my signing bonus. I know I'm going to have to pay them back. I'm freaking out. And then I get a call back from the lady HR department. I'm about to have a heart attack, girl. I'm like, oh, shit, what's she going to say? She's probably so pissed off. They're going to hate me. They've spent all this time recruiting me. and I'm just quitting, right? And she calls me back and she just says, you know what, honey? She goes, I wish I made that decision when I was your age. Go kill it. And the rest is history. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a cool story. Yeah. But it's just like, it's, it's, if it's destined or fated, everything will point in that direction if you're willing to listen. Yeah, now, I, I think that's listen, key. Yeah, if I wasn't willing to listen, I would have just taken a job even though I had all those whispers. But at that moment, I was just tuned in. And it just, everything was pointing in this direction. Yeah. It's amazing that your mom was like, this is my son's not going to be the engineer, the accountant, the doctor. Like that's not his life plan. It's like mom, mom's no, because my dad was like a typical engineer, right? Super yeah. successful, very intelligent. And um, I remember when I decided he had pulled out straight up statistics because, you know, that fear based <laughs> mentality. He's like two percent of actors make a living and out of the two percent, only one percent actually make it big. And my mom's like, OK, so what makes you think your son won't be that one percent? That's awesome. You know, that's moms for you. Dad's looking at fear-based, like the yeah. safest route. What's what's practical and logical. And, you know, I get it, though. They came from India, so they were in survival mode. I don't expect him to get my mentality. But, it, you know, that, that was then. So he was upset for a while, but then they got on board. And then when, once things started going pretty well, they're all good now. So obviously no regrets on quitting oh, that hell job. No. Hell no. I and can't then, imagine if I, it's just not for me. Yeah. Not for me at all. I this does not fit who I am to be, have a structure doing the same thing, working for somebody else. That's not, doesn't work for me. Yeah. And I mean, following you in like the couple of years I've semi known you, like, I don't see you doing that either. Like, this is what you are supposed to do. So what it, what were some of the obstacles getting started Oh, it's an interesting question because sometimes when people bring up obstacles, I mean, there's obviously the most obvious ones, right? So first of all, I didn't have any connections in this business. My parents didn't know producers. I didn't know directors, yada, yada, yada. So although it's, I only moved two and a half hours north of San Diego to Los Angeles, I, it was like moving a, a world away. You know, I didn't know anybody here. 
I didn't really yeah. have any friends here. I had definitely no connections to this business. I had no idea how to even get into it. It was all a learning. I had to start from step one. You know, I didn't have someone holding my hand in. So the first thing was just getting up here. Now, keep in mind, I had saved up some money for my internship. My father was very upset with me. So it wasn't exactly the right time to ask for money at the time. So <laughs> I had just, I had saved up some money. So I moved there to LA in like pretty, now is a better area. But back then, it was not the greatest area. It was not straight up ghetto, but it was like people sell drugs at night, you know? But I just need to get to LA and I need to find a cheap place. So I found this cheap room for like 500 a month and I moved. And, you know, it was probably the worst conditions I've ever lived in, but I, I'd never been happier because I was aligned with my truth. At yeah. that time, like I could have been homeless in my car. I didn't give a shit. None of that mattered. None of the things that people think mattered mattered because I felt so good that I was on my path that nothing else mattered. I I still had a big ass smile on my face. And I just started going to acting workshops. I'd meet people here and there. And uh, it was pretty much in the beginning where I met Alex, your friend's husband. Mm -hmm. And he introduced me to the acting class. I was going to improv classes. I formed an improv group. So I got friends from that. And slowly but surely, and I already had that agent. I was very lucky with that guy from India West. Like He got me that agent early on. That's not normal. Yeah, And so I was definitely auditioning and, and gaining experience. And, you know, I was booking a lot of print jobs back then. And then uh, I think 2010. Yeah. So while I was booking print jobs, I was taking improv class. And in my building that I was living in, someone told me, they're like, you know, there's an actor that stays here sometime. I'm like, uh, cool. And then I saw this guy swimming in, in the pool. It was a black guy. And I was just messing with him. You know, I just went up to him like, yo, mom, I don't know if you can swim, bro. You need help or what? <laughs> and he like, motherfucker, you funny as hell. We were just, I was just talking shit to him. Just, we were just vibing. And he's like, you do stand up? I'm like, no, I do improv. He's like, you need to do stand up. I'm like, uh, I don't know about that, man. And so he's like, it was a Thursday. So he's like, come with me this Sunday to Laugh Factory. There's a show at Laugh Factory called Chocolate Sundays. Big show. So he's like, come with me. So I go with him on Sunday. He picks me up. I go, I didn't know this fool was a celebrity. <laughs> like, I know he was an actor, but I didn't know he was a celebrity. So we just laugh at you. Everyone knows him. They're like, what's up, Chad? What's up, Chad? I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? So he was one of the, uh, he was an actor. He played Cuddy on the show The Wire. Oh, my God. And, yeah, so he was a boxing instructor on the show The Wire, and I'd never seen that show. That's why I didn't really know. I knew, I knew he acted, but I didn't know he was big like that at the time. So I go there. So when I'm rolling with him, everyone's respecting me because I'm his friend. So we, <laughs> we sit down, he's buying me drinks and I'm just shooting the shit with making people around us laugh and stuff. And this never happens either. Tony Rock, Chris Rock's brother is hosting the show. And he just goes, anyone out in the audience that wants to get up here and do some, do something. And Chad goes, this motherfucker right here does. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> no, are you kidding me with the laugh factory? It's 150 people sold out. And it's all a black crowd, which aren't the most that, the, you know, you got to work for a laugh yeah. from that culture, you know? So I'm scared. He's like, get the fuck up there. I'm like, oh, what the hell? So I get up there and I don't know what, it was just a moment of God. I just start talking and making fun of Chad and and just people. And, and then, uh, you know, Tony Rock tries to take the mic from me. And I'm like, yo, motherfucker, don't take, I ain't black. I ain't, I don't, I never bought weed from you. I don't owe you no money. I'm done when I'm done. I'm like, I thought you were a brother. You are half as funny. I want my money back. I would start talking shit to him. And the audience couldn't believe it. They're like, this new dude just going to talk shit to Tony Rock. What the fuck wrong with you? 
So I just garnered respect, and I don't, I don't really remember what I said, but I was up there probably like five minutes just shooting the shit, and I was killing it. The audience was roaring. And when I got off stage, uh, Chad takes me upstairs, and I meet all the comedians. And they're like, you do this, right? I'm like, no. They're like, what? You don't do this? I'm like, mm-mm. I'm like, this is my first time. I just got up on stage. They're like, you need to do this. So because of that moment, Chad is a big fan of comedy. He doesn't do comedy himself, but he's a big fan of comedy. So since he was in town, he would literally, for the next few months, take me to every show. And just because of him, they, he'd just be like, put him on stage. Put him on stage. So I got to skip all the open mics, all that type of stuff. I got a straight going into doing shows because Chad put his stamp on me. Yeah. I mean, Laugh Factory in itself as your first venue was amazing. It was wild. It was a crazy experience. So, um, yeah. Then, so what happened then after that, I got, I started doing a lot of stand up. This is like 2012. I started then 2013. It's a couple years later, 2013, 2014. I really started doing a lot of stand up, especially in the Indian community. In the, it's California, a little bit outside of California, but in, in, in California, I was literally doing a show, either someone's anniversary, wedding, whatever, maybe private event, something like that every weekend. Just nonstop. And just got really lucky. So I was in the rotations for that. And that was a lot of fun. But there's a dark side to stand-up too, right? So there's a lot of really people that are really depressed going through a lot of tough times. And it's not always easy to be around, to keep your energy where you want to keep it. Yeah. You know? Um, so I kind of got out of stand-up for a little bit. Because I, I love stand-up. And I enjoy it. And I know I'm good at it. But acting is always my number one thing. I love acting. Like, if I had to choose one, it'd be acting, you know? Um, my passion very much lies in that medium. So then I got busier with acting. So all right, so around 2013, I was starting to get a lot more films and TV work and staying busy with auditions and, and, and things like that. So stand-up, I was still doing it, but a lot less. I was just getting way more busy with TV film. And that happened, that happened. And let's say, I'd say like 2014... I booked this Microsoft Super Bowl commercial. I mean, everything for me has been very, it's kind of like a, just feels like the spiritual journey because none of it really makes sense. Like I was up for, I was up for two Toyota commercials and uh, I got let off. You know, they put you on. So what happens with auditions? You go to the initial audition. If they like you, they bring you back. It's called the callback. Um, If they like you at the callback, they put you on avail. Avail means they want you to be available for the dates, but you're not officially booked. They're still deciding between you and maybe you and two other people. Mm-hmm. And then after avail, you get an official booking. So I was on avail for two Toyota commercials, got let off both. I was like, right, whatever, whatever's meant to be is meant to be. Literally the next day is a Friday and I don't take my phone. I'm at the gym and it's Friday, 5 p.m. Like keep in mind, Friday, not a busy day. If I haven't done anything all day, there's no reason I need to have my phone with me Friday evening. Yeah. So I, I get out. It's like five o'clock. I check my phone. I have like four missed calls from a manager and agent. I'm like, what the hell? And my manager's like, hey, you need to call your agent right now. She needs to talk to you ASAP. I'm like, okay. Call my agent. She goes, congrats, honey. You booked Microsoft. I'm like, uh, you called the wrong fool because I never auditioned <laughs> for Microsoft. So what the hell are you talking about? And she's like, no, I pitched your picture and they liked it and they need you ASAP for a Super Bowl commercial. I'm like, what? So it's Friday, 5 p.m., and I have to be on set Saturday morning for a Super Bowl commercial. I was on set for two hours. All I did was basically smile behind the Microsoft sign. You can't even see me. And 
I made a shit ton of money off that commercial. More money than I made in every anything I did. And that's just luck. I didn't even audition for the damn thing. So <laughs> that happened. Now I was starting to book some big commercials. Checks came in. Got a condo in Sherman Oaks. Um, that was like 2015. Yeah. And I was in a position to have my buddies live with me, which was awesome. Uh, build equity while other pe- people pay in it. You feel me? Uh-huh. Word <laughs> so up. In the hashtag, brown way. <laughs> hashtag Guju. Um, so that was fun. And I got to live with my buddies, which was a good time. And what happened? Yeah. So 2016, so still booking more work. And then I think it was around end of 2017, I was like, really? I have a story. So in Hollywood, like, I'll audition for stuff. Sometimes you'll audition for great things, great writing, great shows. But sometimes you'll you'll also audition for stuff. You're like, how the hell did this get funding? Yeah. This is terrible. Like, who the hell paid for this shit? This is such terrible writing, or if it's it's just subpar. If it's not terrible, it's not it's not worthy of really being invested in. And you you don't understand how this is getting funneled into the system. And um, you know, I knew I had a story, something I wanted to tell that was important to me especially with this whole you know hollywood's all obsessed with diversity and, and me yeah. too it's a very one-sided perspective narrative which doesn't make any damn sense like, like you don't go through life looking for diversity it's very disingenuous right so if i did an authentic sto- story of my childhood it would not include many white people that doesn't mean i'm racist it just means that was my truth as a kid right so when people watch something on TV and it, it, you just you just feel like they just pickpocketed roles just to make it convenient and look nice, but it's I don't buy it. I don't buy that every group of friends is a, is a gay guy, trans, Asian, Indian, white dude. You know, like <laughs> where the fuck did you all meet? Because that doesn't even seem real. Like it makes no sense. I'm all about diversity. That's how life is. It exists, but you got to keep it real sometimes. So I don't really like the way. Hollywood or TV goes about diversity because it seems very disingenuous. Yeah. You're just filling out. You're just filling out a sheet because it don't f- feel real. Like the reality of my childhood was my parents only had Indian friends. Yeah. So my reality of my childhood was my friends were their their friends' kids, which happened to all be Indian. So if I made a real TV show about my childhood, that would be it. You didn't have the token black or white guy. Hell no, the white guy was only do the delivery of pizza and talk to his ass. Get the fuck out of here, Tom. <laughs> Take your tip and shut up. No. <laughs> Talk to Tom? The hell no. That's the truth. Doesn't mean we were racist. That was, that was just what their comfort was. And they came from a different country and they wanted to hang out with friends who could speak their native tongue in. And that happened to be Indian people. And that's what came over to our house. That was my reality. Yeah. And I think that's a reality for a lot of people. And so when, when they do that on TV without really having an explanation, it bothers me. And, and I was going out for stuff like that, where it was like more tokenism than it was actually. They try to be woke, but it's just tokenism. Right. It's actually the opposite of what they're trying to do, which I find stupid. And, um, and uh, so, so, you know, that was one of the things that was annoying when I'd go out for roles. So I decided I want to write a story that really came from my perspective, my journey in Hollywood, but also comedic but also having social impact on issues that i find so i found a writer and we wrote something uh, a film and it's also a tv show version called brown man problems and uh it's a story about my life it follows a character named tj Dejas, and <laughs> it deals with uh, male objectification stereotypical roles culturalism and the idea of success sounds about right 
Hell yeah. So that's what I've been busy with because we wrote a short film version of it right now because I have it with a production company. So we wrote a short film version of it called Invisible Brown Man and we're filming that Valentine's Day weekend. So it's been, I've been busy as hell. Yeah, well, it's important, right? Because it is. And my- I think like on the a couple of days ago on the radio, I was listening and they were talking about something to this effect and they were basically saying, you know, um, like the Simpsons, do we really need an Indian guy that worked in a 7-Eleven? With an accent yeah. on The Simpsons, like where were they gonna find? Like, really? <laughs> so <laughs> you're right. It was like more, you know, and people do complain about diversity, which is fine, but make it appropriate and make it make sense. Well, my main thing is I never write anything or think of anything with that in mind at first. Yeah. The first thing is authentic to what is this story and what's real. That's it. And so I think if people come at it from that perspective, like the way I look at it is. I like to, when you do your work, I just like connecting with human beings. And when you connect with human beings from a, from a genuine spiritual place, your life becomes diverse naturally because you're not limited by what you see or preconceived notions of who people are just because of how old they Like my best friend's a 50-year-old black woman. Like she's one of my closest friends. That's awesome. Her and I can hang out for eight, nine hours. Like we can't get enough of each other. She's so dope. We have a blast. I mean, hell, and- at this point, I want to be best friends with your mom. Exactly. My mom's a shit. One of my moms and I hang out all the time. We have a blast. So, you know, I, I, have, I have friends that are 60 and I have friends that are like in early 20s. I mean, yeah. it doesn't and they're all white, black, gay, straight. It doesn't matter. But I was never trying. Yeah, I wasn't like, hey, I need a white friend or I need a black friend. I was just meeting people and connecting with people naturally. And your life automatically becomes incredibly diverse and, and very fruitful if you go from that perspective. But when you're just nitpicking from a very material superficial place it's ridiculous and you can see it and you can read it and you feel it and it's it's complete bullshit right those are the people that i usually end up cutting out of my life no matter how long i I cut all those damn yeah fuck them uh no (laughs) no but you have (laughs) to really energy (laughs) well it's just for me it's a victim mentality right yeah so we have that big problem here too with uh the hashtag me too movement i think it's amazing because you have a lot of people like what weinstein did was terrible but at the same time if you're going to sit here and call, see in society, we like to make some people angels and it, everything's black and white. That's what we mm-hmm. do in society. Yeah. Um, he's a devil. I'm an angel. Well, no, most, most perpetrators were abused themselves. Yeah. So don't in society, it doesn't mean I condone anyone's behavior. It doesn't mean they don't have consequences for it. But don't we also need to have a, some level of empathy to go, well, what did this person go through that made them act in this way? It doesn't mean it was okay, but in order to heal and help people, we all have we have to look at everything from uh, a gray area. Everything's nuanced, right? Everything is nuanced. So it's just whatever narrative is convenient in the in right now. Like it's brown face, people go ape shit. Black face, people go ape shit. But then if a guy puts on a wig and he plays a girl, then no one goes that's sexist. Yeah. You know, or if or or, or now we just call him transgender. Because uh, an aspect of it is like transgender for some people is real. It's like, that's how they feel. And I can't put myself in their shoes. But, you know, there's identity. You know, we're, we're a society very much obsessed with identity. So my thing is you can be whoever, whatever sex or color or whatever the hell you want. That's not, that's not going to be fulfilling in any, any case at all. That's a whole other cause we have an issue with. And yeah. Hollywood's a big plays into this whole identity base thing. Like identity is what we should be shedding, not taking, taking on. Identity is the cause of problems, not the solution ever. 
Absolutely. Ever. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I think from the outside, people think Hollywood's progressive, but actually Hollywood's very uh, not progressive at all. It's actually, it's very risk averse. It does what the public, it thinks the public wants. Rarely do I see it push boundaries as much as people think it does. It usually just plays safe and plays the narrative instead of really setting it. Because you're right. We only see what what they think we want to see. Yeah, but they want to make money. This is, uh, I always tell people it shouldn't be called show business. Oh. It should be called business show. 100%. Show is a secondary thing. The 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 authenticness and, and the story and uh, all that's very secondary. It's first comes sales. I mean, why are the Kardashians so big? They're incredibly popular. What talent do they offer? Nothing. They're just yeah. famous to be famous, but they'll run with it and they'll still get sponsored by every single person. They'll get paid $500,000 a post, yada, 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 for what? Yeah, yes. but the thing is, like, it's just, yeah, we, we it's a very victim culture and, mm. and Hollywood plays on it, right? So it's very disempowering because, it, and it goes that too, like, you know, right now with the hashtag me too thing my problem was not that the right people my problem was it then it became witch hunty where someone could just simply say something without any evidence and if you ask for proof you were the dick right and that that's completely it goes against everything that we've created in society of any level of fairness and yeah the reality is this whole idea see what happens is with the feminist movement traditional feminist movement not the reality what feminism was about equality but what ha- what's happening now so much is not about equality at all it's it's disempowering the other side so you can feel powerful right right and there's always a that was always an issue with that because when you say things like we need more women in power or we need this this and this what you're basically saying is women are grander they're better than as if a woman was a president and she would fix all our problems that's completely untrue someone's sex has very little to do with how they go about using their power this whole notion that a, a female in power is somehow better that a man in power is complete nonsense. And there's tons of examples as proof. Yeah, th- th- that's the other thing. Your gender hasn't, I don't give a fuck about your gender. What does that have to do with anything? Right. It's how you do your job and how you do what you're trying to do. The director for my film is a female. I didn't, she's just a great director. I don't give a shit if she has a penis or not. Yeah. She's a visionary. She's amazing. And I know she's, she's amazing for this job. And it had nothing to do with her biology. You're right. And I feel like, like, so... If people like if we did mostly all of our voting, all of our, you know, assigning jobs and hiring stuff through something like a podcast where you knew nothing about the identity of the person and just base it on what they're saying, what they're talking about, their visions, I there'll be so many more boundaries that are broken and so many more opportunities for people that typically wouldn't get it because of the way they look or their gender or I mean, yeah, it's insane. Think about how many black people voted for Barack just because he was black. Yep. complete stupidity i would not just vote for someone because they were indian if an indian person ran for president i won't care that much but do you know how many indian people will be running around with indian flags going crazy because it's indian so obsessed with what does him coming from the same land that we made borders for have anything to do with if he's right for the job and if he's actually going to do something that's empowering and better for where we live what does his skin color and the of that have to do with anything who gives a fuck yeah, and people assume that women are going to majority vote for, like, a, like a Warren or you know another female leader, but that's not necessarily true. If because... it, but it, it, but it, a lot of women will, and I find right. all those women that will just because she's a woman quite stupid. Right, right. I think Absolutely. it's very ignorant and low frequency behavior. That and going back to like you know trying to find diversity in everything, 
there, even though things are more progressive than they were, there is still a time and place for certain people in doing roles. Like we don't have to have women leaders everywhere. I just don't think it should be a narrative that we talk about, you know, like who cares? Like if someone's good, then they're great. If good for the job, then they vote for them. I don't care what you have between your legs or what you don't. It's so unimportant. And that's the problem. We concentrate more on the 1% difference between men and women. You know, we both have two arms, a head, a brain, legs. We walk, we feel, we hurt, we have hair. Like how about all the similarities? We're more similar than not. Yeah. You know, it's insane to me. I find everyone to be quite crazy. And 99% of people are very easily manipulated. That's why I find this business to be so interesting on how easy it is to manipulate people. That's what I've learned being in Hollywood more than anything. How a big story can influence how, like, like think about romantic comedies, for example, right? Like women, most women are, think that romantic comedies are love. And most men think love is porn. <laughs> and it's it's neither they're both fucking wrong both wrong <laughs> men think they get into a relationship and it's going to be sex like they see in, in in porn and it's that's obviously untrue if anyone's been in a relationship and sex is nothing like that and it's definitely not like that when it's a romantic relationship um it's yeah. it's not it's not this fantasy well, they have in their heads. the the, mo- the common thing with both of those scenarios is that the production stops before the marriage starts because once you get married all that's out the window well that's why i tell her and, and, and women have been girls especially i mean you they're the ones who are, are obsessed with the wedding because that's how we manipulated them to think is a full, an idea of fulfillment men i never read a magazine about grooms magazine wait till your wedding day that's all for girls <laughs> you know they're usually dreaming i don't blame them if you manipulated them and, and, and put that into their head since they're a little little of course that's going to be something they feel like they need to feel complete but i ask people i'm like do you want a marriage or do you want a wedding because those are very different is this fulfill some scenario you have in your mind and uh that's what we've done with identities from day one right my, my goal is to really break all of that shit down and in that in and while doing that continue to break my own down because when I moved to Hollywood, I, my first idea was I'm going to show Hollywood what an Indian man could be. And those are both terms that I don't really care for or know what that even means. I don't know what it means to be Indian or a man. And I don't really care to. I'm just me. And you can define it as you wish. I don't need to defend it. I don't need to try. You know, they always say when you take on an identity, you use your intellect to protect it. And then when people use your intellect to protect it, you can play into that. That's mm-hmm. why it's that's what marketing does, Right. So if I have a bunch of men in society who have taken the identity of being a man and most vast majority of people idea of being a man, I'm not everybody's, but a vast is being in shape, being athletic, good at sports, getting girls, um, yada, 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 uh, being able to provide income, you know, would you agree? Yeah, Basic absolutely. things. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm, doing an ad or telling a story i just have to play into all of those things that people have used to protect themselves that's why it's so easy to go up to most guys or kids and call them a pussy and they'll do anything you say to avoid being called that because it goes goes against everything they have in their mind of what a man is so you have a bunch of insecure little boys running around because they've been told that this is what a man is and if i say you're a bitch or a pussy uh you will definitely do anything to avoid being called that and that's a huge thing like in my house right now um, and you know, I, I, I don't blame Davon, but when he would say, you know, stop crying like a girl to my son, I'm like, stop saying that because he's entitled to cry. He's entitled to have emotions. He's entitled to be.
be cranky, just like we we would be. He's entitled to have his feelings. So don't say stop crying like a girl. It's not a girl guy thing. And that's and you know, I completely agree. Yeah. And it's something, you know, that nowadays, if you are quote unquote woke, like be that for your child. Don't raise assholes. Don't raise people that are gonna go out thinking of one specific bubble that they have to live in and, you know, be like and act like. Let them, you know, show them the different sides that they can be. Let them express themselves how they want. Cut down those boundaries and identity um, walls. That's how you yeah, I mean, a better I mean, society. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting because growing up in our culture, it, I mean, we're quite obsessed with our Indian identity. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And to a point where I find it to be very intrusive to personal and expansive growth. Absolutely. And, you know, I have uncles who are so anti-Pakistan. It's unbelievable to me. I'm like, this is so recent of a line that we drew. I mean, if anything, these people are pretty much just us, but north now. Yeah. You know, like, think about what the U.S. has to do for our, any country has to do for their military. Right? Because mm-hmm. when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're willing to, when you're willing to die for something, you're willing to kill for it. Right? Yeah. And usually, if you look at traditionally, what are you willing to die for besides yourself? It's usually someone you love, your 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 spouse or a partner or your kids or family, right? Like people, most people take a bullet for their children yeah. or someone they really love, right? But imagine you have to manipulate people to feel the same way about their flag. Patriotism. Like patriotism is is an interesting concept. Nationalism is a very interesting concept. I have you. I have to get you to cry for this flag because then you won't you'll be willing to die for it. Yeah, so you're not you're not going to die for something else, you know? Talk about a little bit like comedy. Like like my com my favorite comedians are people that use real life scenarios. So my nephew, he's wanting to get into producing, so I hooked him up with one of my friends' husbands who's a producer and yeah. he's teaching him, you know, the 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 stuff in the background, like, you know, how to how to hear music and you know all the stuff that goes around producing and so the first night he told my nephew to go in and you know do a rap for him and so my cousin starts talking my nephew starts talking about all the stuff that he thought was what was in right now so all the littles that are you know rapping about mm-hmm. hoes and gang life and guns and all so he's rapping about this and my friend is like what are you doing you listen you live in like you live in Marietta, Georgia, in, a, <laughs> in an amazing house with an amazing family. Like you're brown and go to a great school. Like, have you ever held a gun in your life? He's like, no. He's like, have you been with a girl? He's like, no. He's like, so what are you even talking about? And so he's telling me all this. And my cousin's telling me like, yeah, this is because like, he was watching them. And first I'm like horrified that this is even coming out of my nephew's. But then I'm like, absolutely. Like, There's so, there's such a, window now for people to speak their truth and make it into an art form so you know his he was like talk about your life talk about being indian living in this age and you know going to the school and your trials and tribulations of being this kid and talk about what you know because that's what's going to make it a hit mm-hmm. so that's true though i mean from? for me it's just, that's the same thing i mean i pull from that it's it's weird for me though because 
I found myself changing a lot of my, you know, I feel like a lot of my comedy has moved more into the spiritual aspect of stuff that we're talking about right now, about identity. So I go into that a little bit. You know, a lot of stories to me are interesting from people because they become so identity based. And and, and part of it's true because, you know, we are all ingrained and, and that was all put on us. So I definitely talk about that a lot. I talk about my childhood and being very confused you know you go to india you're american you're in america you're indian like Mm -hmm. where the hell what yeah and um that just that dichotomy so and obviously my parents are funny you know uh one thing they did was definitely a sense of humor was huge in her house i got away with a lot and uh comedies my dad had a massive temper and you know typical indian father in that way but still had an amazing sense of humor so I was able to really pull from my childhood in that perspective because I was really able to push scenarios because of comedy that I, maybe some people, other people weren't able to in families. I was really able to push my parents' buttons, really push questioning them and, and their own belief systems. And, and those types of things bring out a lot of comedy when you ask them stuff, right? <laughs> like, oh, mom, why do you even do the arty? Like back in the day, what does this even mean? I don't know. We just do it. What do you mean you do it? So why do you do it if you don't know what it is? Because that's what we have to do. It's like, well, you're telling me this is what I need for a blessing, but you don't even know what the hell we're blessed for. So you're full of shit. Yes, that's my entire life. And so when I got married, um, my husband's family is Brahmin. So, Mm. you know, they know other prayers than than I know. And when I first got married, he was like, oh, you have to learn these slopes. I'm like, why? He's like, you just do. I'm like, well, what do they mean? I don't know. My mom said you have to learn it. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. I'm not going to learn it until I know what it means because to me, then it's just words. And I'm just saying it. It's like me reciting the ABCs at that point. And I've learned over the years that I'm, I'm more spiritual than I thought I was. And in, what I mean by that is, um, you know, like when I'm in like a mandir or a temple and or we're doing like pujas in the house, something I zen out without knowing and I get super emotional. And mm-hmm. the first time it happened to me, we were in India. It was my first time in India meeting my husband's family. And they're again, they're, you know, they're Brahmin, they're they're up there with God. Um, and I'm sitting there listening to his cousin talk, and I just start crying. And I don't know why I'm crying. And then, like, my husband's looking at me, my mother-in-law's looking at me, and they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know. And the more they ask me, I'm like, I cry more because I'm like, I don't even know why I'm crying. (laughs) I don't know what's happening to me right now. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I can't stop crying. Nothing's bothering me. I'm just here crying. Let me be. And so I talked to my mom. I was like, look, this is what happened. I look like a damn fool. And she's like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. And so did your grandmother. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks for telling me now. But she basically was mm. like, you know, when we feel that sense of spirituality, we it just it's so pure that we have not we have such a raw emotion that we just feel that connected. And it's that, a higher level. Of, it's a different level of consciousness that isn't binded by um, all these all these roles that we're playing. Right. Exactly. It's just the and, truth. And when you feel that, that is the truth. You know, right. everything else is the game. That psychological game we've put on ourselves that feels very burdensome, even if even if it's even if we've told it shouldn't. Yeah. Right. All the all these attachments to our partners or kids or jobs or money or friends or um, opinions and these things that are very burdening. And some of it, people, you get a promotion, people clap their hands. You get married, people clap their hands. You become a parent, people clap their hands. 
but there's also a part of it that that can be a burden if you're not moving in in with grace into those situations you know so i mean there's this thing you know when when it comes to religion and and stuff and i think they can be very it can be very helpful for certain people to um increase their vibration and tap into something for themselves for sure but it can also have the opposite effect it just depends on how people take it but there's there is a part of it that can be very limiting because you have to ask yourself what is the point of a belief system or uh, in in general and and, in religion usually is people are trying to answer that ultimate thing like why are we here what's my purpose and what happens when we die yeah. Right. You're you're looking for an answer because that that without that answer, it, it, your ego, it's just your ego, is instilling fear. Like it needs answers, right? Mm-hmm. It wants answers. But there's there's this, I don't know if this is true, but this interesting story that this guru once said about Buddha, because Buddha never answered any questions. When you asked him a question, he just smiled and nodded his head. He wasn't here to give you answers. He was here to just tell you how to go dig dig within yourself. That's where all the answers lie. Yeah. He had nothing to give you. And that's still the truth. But uh, there is a story about this religious woman, super religious woman. And she's sitting with Buddha and his disciples. And she raises her hand and you know, asks her question like, Buddha, I want you to tell me, is there a God? And he smiles and he says, there is no God. And the town goes crazy. Everyone's you know, just jumping up and down. Did you hear Buddha said, there's no God? There's no God. God doesn't exist. Everyone, and the town just whispers. Everyone's gossiping, going crazy about this, right? This is new news. Whatever Buddha says is the truth. And the next day, an atheist comes. This atheist guy comes and say a similar thing, raises his hand. He asks Buddha, he's like, Buddha, is there a God? And, and Buddha smiles and he goes, there is a God. Same thing. The town erupts. Everyone's going crazy. You hear Buddha said there's God. God exists. He's real. Buddha said so. And, and, the, and, the, and the meaning of that story really is whether you believe in God or you don't, you find yourself in the same place. You both believe in something you can't prove. Mm-hmm. And so even right now, when you find people of those parties that they've taken identities from, they, they're they not really opposing. They're very much the same. It's just a belief system you can't prove. There is no proof. And And what happens with that is the best one to have, or I think a better one would be these three words, I don't know. Instead of having the answer, just say, I don't know, because at least if you say, I don't know, you leave room to find the answer. You leave room to expand and keep seeking. Yeah. When you seek, there's nothing you're seeking for. There's not, there is no, there is, you just, you're just seeking. Whatever happens will come to you. Whatever is needed will come. But when you, when you live in an environment where you believe that, you know, the answers or this is the answer, it's you're stunted. And you can look around and find examples of that. You know, I have it in my own family. Of course, I know people that believe in the same thing for 40, 50 years. And there, there, there isn't much more wisdom. They've gained more experience in life. But the, the way they go about with those experiences is no wiser than they were when they were 20. Right. They still bottle it into the same categories or not. Expanding. Same fears. Just, yeah, just different. Yeah, life changed them. They look different. They have more children. They have a little bit more examples in life. Like I said, everybody changes. Very few transform. Everyone changes, but they change within the same little spectrum of knowledge right. and what they consider knowledge or, or any tap into their consciousness because it's still the same belief system. You know, I go to church every day. I do this every day. I do this. But um, someone else is telling you what's right and wrong. Like there's this guru and these certain things like, uh, you know, even like Swat Day or other things like that. And look, I, I don't want to come off like I 
why to be honest i don't really care how i come off but <laughs> my, my point is i'm not trying to talk bad about all these things i'm just trying to keep it truthful and honest yeah. right so so people can take it as they wish but you know when you have gurus some of these things in in, in india and especially in our i can speak from experience when they say things like you know they have these kids go to these workshops with the you know and they they read and study and they'll have these gurus tell them or quote-unquote gurujis or dadajis whatever they usually come dadaji you know, Dadaji said that the number one thing, most important thing in your life is your family, right? You'll see that very common, basic thing to say. What yeah. your parents are, you owe your parents and they are everything to you. And they brought you into this world and your parents are the ultimate and you have to respect them and listen to them. And yeah, from a general perspective, that's not necessarily a, a negative thing, but you have to be very mindful because you manipulate these kids to be almost like from a seva servitude to a family, right? But mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of abuse that happens in 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 immediate families all the time. Yeah, I mean, is that the right thing to say to a girl whose father's raping her? I think the right. best thing to tell her is run away now, leave, right. get out, never talk to him again. That's appropriate advice to her. So when you get into a situation where it's it's very disempowering an individual, even if it's a child, and by no means is I'm saying you should disrespect your parents or family, but there is. You know, people the people have uh, some level of respect that needs to be earned as well. Like in our culture, like you buggy log, you touch an elder's feet. There are some people in my family I would never touch their feet. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I know the things you've said to not only my family, about my family, about other people, how abusive you were, how emotionally abusive you are, and how jaded of a human being is. Oh, why would I want Ashiwat? What type of energy are you going to give me? I don't give a damn you're 80 years old, bro. Right. I'm sorry, you know, like all love to you, but that's it. And I have my boundaries with you and I don't need to associate myself with you. Right. These are appropriate things. So when I hear other stuff like that, it's more of a form of control. It's taking away an individual's power, you know, and that's not very good. I don't find that to be healthy at all. But people come from these things and get very excited and jump up and down. I'm like, all I feel as if is you've left this seminar, I'd like to call it a seminar, is very disempowered. Nothing was about your growth and your potential and your power and your truth. It was all about what you need to do and what's good and what's bad and what Bhagwan looks at as terrible. Based on an opinion. Based on an opinion of a guy who's living a life. I'm like, well, this dude who keeps asking for money. Yeah. For Donations. What? And, who, Donations. and who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, who is he? Because I'd be honest with you. If you meditate enough and you do the work, none of these gurus seem that great. You are your own guru. Mm-hmm. Just do the work. Instead of going to meet some Dadaji, go sit in your room and meditate for an hour. You'll get better answers than he'll give you shit. Because <laughs> any guy, any person that preaches that they have something to give have to be very careful. The truth, the true ones, people come to them. They don't go everywhere. Like they say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So, yeah, these are problems. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't expect our conversation go in that direction, but that's where it goes. I mean, I feel like we've been all over the place and it's all been wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's things I'm very passionate about because I see it and I just see how limited it is and how judgmental it is, Yeah. no matter where you come from, but especially those viewpoints, right? So it's like you have to live your life in accordance to make other people feel good, but I don't control how you feel. Like, that's why I tell my cousins even like sometimes they're like oh you said that thing on this day and that was inappropriate i'm like first of all it wasn't inappropriate you took it out of context and that's how you decided to be affected by it yeah. don't blame me for your emotional well-being like you personally i just made a statement and you took it personally that's on you 
You well, know? I'm like, you give me a lot of power, girl. I'm like, I told my cousin, I'm like, if, if you if I can control your emotions, man, you've made me very powerful. Why would you give me that power? But you gave me that power. And most people in society give that power to celebrities. Uh, they call them heroes and presidents. We, we give them. They don't have it. They have to be given. It. And most people give away their power. You know, it's easy. Someone could run up to them on the street and be like, you're ugly and their whole day's ruined. And like, really, all someone has to do is make a negative statement about your physical appearance and they can literally ruin your day. That means you don't have power. So my goal is to teach people to take their power back from a spiritual sense. When I mean power is not from money or, or laws or rules or politics. I mean their own power. Well, I can say after this, we're officially friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to definitely make a trip out to L.A. and visit a few of my yeah, friends. Yeah, come on out. And then whenever you're in New York, you definitely need to hit me up. Um, definitely will. And I want to say thank you so much. I absolutely enjoyed <laughs> talking to you. Um, Likewise. Thanks for having me. And I want to wish you all the best for all your projects coming up. And, you know, I'll just keep following and supporting and wishing the best. We'll be Absolutely. In touch. Um, thank you so much.